Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. This is the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a lot of interviews to get to. For the athletes on this weekend's UFC Fight Night card headlined by Alexander Volkov taking on Jarzinho Rosenstreich, a fantastic heavyweight fight with some implications in that division. But we're going to start off with the co-main event. Dan Ige, big underdog against Movsar Evloev. He's back in action for the first time in a while, took a little bit of time off and explained why when we spoke. So looking forward to having you hear that interview. We also spoke with Jeff Molina, one of my favorite up-and-comers in the flyweight division. Love seeing his improvements fight after fight. He's against Jalgis Zhumagulov, looking to extend his win streak to 10 in the flyweight division in his young career. Looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table yet again in the flyweight division. And speaking of up-and-coming flyweights, opening up the card, Aaron Blanchfield, a massive favorite against J.J. Aldrich to start the evening, well, I guess the afternoon festivities off. And... She looks like somebody who is a force to be reckoned with in this division and somebody who will ultimately fight for the Women's Flyweight Championship. She's just brimming with confidence. It was great to speak with her and talk about her progression in the sport. And finally, Damon Jackson. This guy is somebody who I've loved watching over the years. His combination of wrestling submission skills has shown that he is somebody who on any given night can get a win in a very competitive featherweight division. He's taking on a newcomer, Dan Argetta, who was on The Ultimate Fighter, and recently became, I believe, the LFA bantamweight champion. He fights uh, typically at bantamweight, moving up a division to get his crack at the UFC roster, and will have a, a tough fight ahead of him in Damon Jackson, who's uh, someone who I enjoy speaking with as well. And uh, without further ado, let's get to these interviews. We'll start off with Dan Ige, followed by Jeff Molina, Aaron Blanchfield, and Damon Jackson here on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. He's in the co-main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card against the currently undefeated Movsar Evloev, he is Danny Ige, and uh, it seems like I haven't spoken to you for such a long time. It's been quite the layoff. How much of that had to do with becoming a new father? First of all, I like you said, currently undefeated. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I don't know. I kind of planned this layoff after my last fight. Um, although I didn't really take too much injuries, I did. My body was a little beat up just from, from the training camp, and um, I had told Sean Shelby I'd like to maybe – sit out wait a little bit till about may or june but it um it's funny because i reached out in about around like mid-january february and i literally got the bout agreement to fight in, in february to fight in june so um once i get a bout agreement man i can't turn my mind off so it, it's been a although it's been a long layoff it's been a super long camp uh, i think we're on week 17 right now, the final uh, the final week of fight week. But, yeah, being a dad, too, um, having a long camp has given me, you know, time to, like, really take my time and enjoy my time with my family before I really ramp things up. But, uh, yeah, man, here we are, finally. Yeah, I mean, a 17-week uh, fight camp is probably pretty unorthodox. So how do you stop yourself from pushing yourself so hard during a camp that's this long? Um, I just keep it fun, man. I, uh, obviously if I was here in Vegas training for 17 weeks straight, I'd probably lose my mind. So, uh, I, I just tried to mix it up as possible. I mean, as much as possible, like back when I was kind of coming up in my 
fighting career, I used to travel around a lot with Ali, and I, I kind of felt that's where I really got good was getting to train with different guys like Khabib and and, and flying around different places, Frank Yeager back in, back in the day, and you know I have I hadn't done that since I became a dad, so you know I I kind of I talked to my my close circle and they they all agreed that I kind of needed to get back to that and, you know, go, go branch out, go train with different people. So I, I did that. I got a little three week mini Russian training camp. Then I, I flew to Denver. I'd stayed with um, Justin Gagey at his house. I lived there for like a month and trained there. And then I came back to Vegas for my son's birthday and I was about eight weeks out right there. So I just grinded out the last eight weeks here in Vegas. But you know, having a long camp, like, I I understand how it could be draining for a lot of people, and it kind of got there at the, the final the final two, three weeks. But um, for the most part, I was just having fun with it, and it, it gave me time and gave me freedom to, like, branch out and get other training, get out of my comfort zone and, and do things differently. So um, here I am now, fight week few days away and uh i feel good i feel confident and i'm excited all of these fighters like yourself and others that have fights against these really high level russian wrestlers like you do against mozart Evlov, keep going to these secretive russian training camps and not telling anybody about what's going on there I, I i need to know what's happening in these camps because all the fighters that are not russians that are facing the russian wrestling based fighters talk about these russian camps and won't give me any sort of details on it so get tell me what you can tell me I, I mean, I don't give names. I, I just, uh, I've trained a lot with the Russians um, pretty much my whole, since I've gotten into the UFC, I, I've, I've gotten a lot of training with Khabib. I just don't really say names because I'm fighting a Russian and and it's political. You know, I don't want it to seem like the, the Russians helping the American win. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but We'll talk a little bit more about it after the fight. If you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I don't know. It's it's secretive. <laughs> so, that, so it's political. So basically, that's what it is. Is that if you say I trained with so and so, then suddenly it, it can create an international incident among the fighters. I think so. I and it's also a weird time. Like when when this was happening, all this stuff with yeah, I know it's still going on out there. But just like that was like the start of like the Ukraine and Russia and all that stuff. And it was just very, it was a weird time. So, you know, we stayed low. I didn't post any social media content, but I was out there and I was training. Hakeem Dawadu fought Evloev last and looked really good in the third. And I think you and Hakeem Dawadu have a lot in common in terms of your fighting styles and your striking acumen. How much did you learn from that third round where he really started to turn up the jets against Evloev? Um... I, I did watch that fight. You know, it's just third round. It, I, I don't know what kind of pressure he put him on himself in that fight, but it's like he was a little behind in round one and two, and he just he was behind on the exchanges and and uh, was almost frozen. Then round three, you know, he just decided, hey, I'm just going to let it all go. And that's when he had success. So that's kind of it's kind of the, the mindset I have, you know, just I don't. I'm not putting extra pressure on on myself because I'm coming off two losses. I'm not putting financial pressures on myself like I've done in the past. And 
I'm just going to go out there and be free and have fun, man. I'm, I'm going to let loose and, you know, that's all I can really do. And, you know, hope for the best. I prepared as best as possible. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm ready everywhere. And I truly believe I can win anywhere. I can, I can win in the, in the stand-up department. I can win in the wrestling department. I can win in the grappling. And I, I know mentally that, you know, I can handle adversity. We haven't really seen, um, Evloev handle adversity because he's undefeated. We don't, you know, I don't know what kind of adversity he's faced in his life, but I'm, uh, I'm ready to test him and, and, um, give him a little adversity. And, you know, I, I, I've been in his, in his shoes before when I was coming up and when I was on a six fight win streak, you start to believe in your own hype a little bit. And, uh, then you got the UFC, you know, pumping out promos and you buy into that stuff. So, you know, here I am, I, I'm a, I'm 0-0 again, man. I This is my first fight, and I'm just going to go out there and have some fun. And uh, I, I really think this is the evolution of myself. Um, I've just grown a lot mentally and technically, physically, and all other places. But more so mentally, I just feel, I feel grounded again, and I don't feel like I have to go out there and impress people. And... Um, I'm having fun with this. It seems like from watching your interviews and watching your documentary on YouTube, uh, you can look that up. If you look up Dan Ige on YouTube, you can find your lead up to this fight. That's been a lot of the emphasis is kind of letting go and taking the pressure off of yourself. Did you find that in your previous fights that was something that had really uh, hurt you going into those fights? A little bit. More more so when I became a dad, I I created this like element that I had to... I had to provide, I had to, like, it became a financial thing, and I really, um, like, I would, I don't know why, but, like, fight week, I would do all these calculations, like, I'm going to do this, this, and this, I'm going to invest this for my son, I'm going to invest this into a house, and then things don't get, things don't work out, and you lose a fight, and then you get kind of bitter about it, even though I'm making the most money I've ever made in my life, it's like you get bitter about it, then you hear all the fighter paid topics, and um, it's really easy to to um, you know grow bitter over the sport when 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 financials get involved. And um, when I think back to it, when I used to fight, I would fight for free as an amateur. And then my first pro fight, I fought for 10, 10 tickets. I didn't even get paid. And my second fight, I made like five hundred bucks. But I was just having fun. It was never for the money at the time. And then you know now you're getting third fourth UFC contract you're getting pretty decent money compared to what you used to get um what I used to get at least and um it can get in the way of the of the process and and the goal and the vision so I've tried to just put that aside even though it's still there you know it's obvious I want to get paid I want to make good money I want to make money for my family I want to make money for myself um but that's not my main focus my main focus is is just doing what I love and having fun again because that's when I have my best performances. Well, if you want to make money, one thing you could do is bet on Dan Ige this weekend. You're a 3-1 to one underdog, and I'm not sure if you've delved really deep into the uh, the props behind this fight, but for you to win by knockout is plus 950, so it's basically 10-1. to one. And I feel like if you're going to win this fight, that's probably your most likely path. Would you agree? That's a, I never looked at the props. I did see the odds, and uh, yeah, I felt a little disrespected. 
but it's all good. You know, it's just part of the game. And, you know, this guy's got a little industry momentum. I feel like I have momentum in other ways, but, you know, it's just not to the, not to the game, not to the industry, but I definitely have some momentum going into this that, you know, not everyone else sees, but hell yeah, plus 950. I would slam that all day because I got two lunch boxes right here and two mailboxes on my feet, and <laughs> he's going to run into something. Well, not to mention that you've been training with Justin Gaethje, as you mentioned earlier, and I saw you with uh, him and with Trevor Whitman, and those look like some pretty intense uh, <laughs> workouts out in Denver. And I, I've got to hand a lot of credit to your coach, uh, Eric Nixick. I, he's one of these guys that, you know, all coaches have ego, but he's got such little ego when it comes to how you, you look at coaches in this game. And him letting you go and, and work with all of these other coaches, not that he has to let you go, but him being comfortable with that, I think speaks volumes about the kind of coach that he is. Yeah, Eric's great, man. This is our 15th fight together, and we're very alike in a lot of ways as far as like our mental approach and just, like you said, ego and not having a big ego, checking our egos at the door every day, you know, being a leader in the gym. And um, it, Flex Loose was just in the gym yesterday, and Eric gave him a book called Eat Leaders Eat Last. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the life and that's the role he plays in the gym, you know. And, and myself as well, like when my, when my whole team is here fight week, I like to take care of my team first. Even though I'm the one fighting, I take care of my team. And um, it's just, I don't know if it's something I do because I'm getting ready for war. Like I make sure, I, it's just a weird thing I do. Like some serial killer traits or something. I clean up, I make sure everything's clean, I take care of my team, and then I take care of myself and go fight someone. But, um, yeah, back back to what you said about training up in Colorado, it, it was really good. It was a it was a change up for me. We did a lot of, you know, a lot of bad conditioning. It's something I don't do a lot of, probably. And um, But I took away some good things from that. I, um, I took some things from the Russian camp. I took some things from from the Justin camp, I went out. I uh, I got some training with Henry Cejudo as well, and um, that was more like the mental side, the philosophy of fighting. And heck, man, I'm just trying to take little bits and pieces from all the greats and um, create it, create something of my own. And I think that's that's something I have that a lot of people don't have. Um, and I'm just still getting better. I feel counted out by a lot of people, but um, yeah, it's not over yet. Well, as someone with three kids, I can certainly relate to being able to go somewhere else and getting a good night's sleep. It's very, very valuable. Well, Dan, uh, always a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, best of luck in the co-main event against Movistar Evloev this weekend. Right on. Thanks, Aaron. It was good talking to you as well. See you later. Looking to make it an even 10 on his win streak is Jeff Molina taking on Jalgas Jamagulov this weekend. It's been a, been a little bit since we've seen you in the cage, and you're one of the most exciting prospects right now in the flyweight division, but you're taking kind of a slow and steady approach to this division, correct? My man, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my approach is, um, man, I, I don't really care about rankings. I've been getting asked a lot, like, hey, after this fight, like, um, you think about, like, where you're going to be ranked, and I don't care what number's next to my name or if there's a number next to my name, um, I don't care if I have to fight number 15 through number one to get to a world title, but I'll get there eventually. And uh, yeah, a, a slow and steady approach is what I'm coming along with. Well, here's one thing I want to bring up. Because people keep saying, oh, it's disrespectful to have Jeff Molina being the third fight on the card, or Aaron Blanfield is opening the card. Do the fighters care at all about where they are on the card? 
Um, for this card, I, I care a little bit. Just, uh, dude, they have our report time fighters. First three fighters have to be in the hotel lobby at 8 a.m., like uh, ready to rock, cut mouthpiece, and ready to, to, to take the shuttle. And I'm like, dude, let me fucking drink some coffee before I get into a fist fight. Like, let me let me wake up. But uh, nah, I don't play too much into it, man. Uh, it means a little less media for me. Not that I don't like doing media, but um, I don't know. I don't play too much into it. If I'm on the main card, cool. Like I think there'd be more uh, eyes on me if I was on the main card. Um, yeah, I think eventually I will become a, a main card staple. But uh, I don't play too much into it. I had a ton of people, buddies, uh, teammates, like, dude, why the fuck did you put your third fight on the card? Um, yeah, but I, I did see uh, Twitter kind of blowing up about Blanchfield being the, the opening fight and um, and me being the third fight on the prelims, but it's it's whatever, man. Like, I, I did see a tweet that was like, dude, no one on the main card has won. And, like, I was coming off a, a win, like, um, besides one fighter, I think. Um, I just thought that was interesting. But I feel like the uh, UFC knows what they're doing marketing-wise. Maybe they want to spread little, little specs uh, – of what they think is going to be entertaining throughout the card just to keep eyes on it, maybe get the, the prelim views up. I'm not too sure. That's the way I look at it is this is all by design. They want to have people watch the first fight on the card. They want to have people watch the last fight on the card. So their goal is to keep everybody engaged. But I didn't put two and two together in terms of the timing. I forgot that it's the card starts, at least the prelim start at 1 p.m. on the East Coast. So that's like 10 a.m., on the West Coast, and that, that's now I understand why uh, why that bums you it's out from that bad. perspective. I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just bitching, you know. It's not too bad. Like honestly, uh, I'll, I'll be fighting probably 11 a.m. Um, Vegas time, which is 1 p.m. Uh, Central time, uh, which is what it's out in Kansas City. Uh, so it's not too far off from the time we have like morning practices at. Um, it's not too bad, but I probably will have to wake up at five something a.m. to make sure I, I can eat breakfast and get settled in before i get into a fist fight so it's not too bad i'm just i'm just bitching well i did recommend to uh, chase hooper who was on the last card it's a uh, coconut water with two shots of espresso i call it victory juice I saw now, it, man. now he's I saw it. I, i'm i'm a coffee guy myself i might have to try that aaron i might have to try that yeah he's the proof is in the pudding right he he, he won his fight so i'll give it a shot yeah, I want to no see if we can – let's get a momentum tidal wave going here with the victory juice. Do you like coconut water? Coconut water – I, I do like coconut water on its own for sure, and I'm a big coffee guy, so it's it's worth the worth the juice. There you go. I tried lemonade with espresso this week. That didn't – it wasn't quite as good. Yeah, yeah, a little too sweet. So you're training with Brandon Moreno right now at Glory. He's uh, He's come over there. What is, what's it like training with somebody of that level? I mean, this is a guy who's been uh, the champion in, the, in your division very recently, could, could be the champion again sometime in the, in the very near future. He's fighting for the interim belt uh, in about a month and a half. So it must be really important for you to be able to get these kind of reps. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been awesome having him in the gym, man. Um, not just a champ, but a champ in my weight class. And it's it's been really cool. He fits the culture that we have at the gym perfectly. Um He's a super like bubbly, outgoing guy, but when it's when it's time to, to get on the mats, he's he's about his business, man. Trains probably as hard as anyone I've seen. Um, so it's been really cool just to to see his work ethic, see uh, that champion mentality, and and for me, it's been like, a great like boost of confidence. Like I know where I'm at, like I, I know where I'm at, and it's been really cool um, just having him in the gym. Like now we got me, Moreno, and Timmy, um, Tamelia. Uh, 
all as like my main training partners and it's 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 awesome the flyweight division is one of those ones where the I feel like the skill level from somebody who's the champion all the way down to somebody who's ranked in the top 20. Like on any given night, anybody can beat anybody in this division. It's just the skill level so close. Yeah, I, I agree, man. And uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but like it's really cool to finally see that the flyweights get some get some love within the last like year and a half. Like uh, I think that, that first Moreno figgy fight where it was like a, a heck of a scrap and it's very back and forth and – I think that helps shine some light on the flyweights and, and Mick's just done a great job of rebuilding this division. And it's, it's really cool to, to see the flyweights finally getting some love. And I feel like there's gonna be more of that in the future. I think I'm going to be a part of that. And uh, I, I agree though, like the, the talent here now at flyweight, it's crazy, man. You got young guys like uh, Micaiah, myself um, coming up and, it's really cool to see where the division's at and where it's going to be uh, heading here pretty soon. I think the women's flyweight division right now is very similar to how the men's flyweight division used to be. Like, I think everybody's very even there, except you have Valentina up there. Like, Valentina's up here, and I guess with Demetrius Johnson, that's kind of how it was for a long time in flyweight. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great comparison. I think I agree. Shevchenko's just leaps and bounds ahead of these ladies, and when someone's so dominant, it doesn't make it that entertaining. Like, it, it's like we want to see hardship we want to see competitive fights we want to see wars um which is kind of messed up to say because you know you want to be that fighter that that's shevchenko that's just putting these ladies out that's just there's not really much competition anytime she gets taken down once it's like oh there's a chink in her armor you know like oh she's human you know but she's still dominating these chicks man so uh, i think that's a a great analogy is like uh yeah that there's the women's division is what the women's flyweight division is what flyweights were uh, in the men's division a couple of years ago. Now, I know a lot of people are making a lot about you training with Moreno, but I imagine training with Tim Elliott for all these years must be so, I mean, it must be frustrating really to train with a guy like that because he's almost like a jazz musician. Like his rhythms are so uh, far out there compared to most other fighters. You just never know what that guy's going to do. So that must have really helped sharpen your skills and, and build you into the fighter you are today is having a guy like that around. 100%. Yeah. I, uh, I mimicked when I first started fighting, I mimicked my style, uh, like Tim Elliott. So I tried to be Tim Elliott and, uh, it didn't work out very well. Uh, but I, I did take bits and pieces from the style and, uh, yeah, I was a fan of Tim before I even started training with him. So to have him as one of my main training partners for years now is really fucking cool. Now you're trying to be uh, right? I mean, I saw that the Alex Behunin put out, uh, that list of the things that you know a little bit of the outside of the octagon interests and and some of your interests in terms of mma and tj dillashaw seems to be a, a guy that you really want to model yourself after yeah uh tj uh for sure probably someone i watched the most tape on one of my favorites i would say um uh, there, it's i have man i'm such a fan of the sport i have so many favorites so saying tj's name was just like i thought of who do i watch the most tape on or who have i watched the most tape on and uh, his fights are, are still ones that I put on on fight day. Um, there, there's fights I watch on fight day, fight week. Um, and his first fight against Burrell is one that I've seen probably at least 100 times, man. Like, no bullshit, at least 100 times. Like, I can give you timestamps from when Burrell was rocked in the first round. Like, it's um, – I've yeah, so when I say favorite, it's probably who I watch the most tape on. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay it. I like TJ, man. I've met him. I've trained with him. Uh, solid dude. Uh obviously an amazing athlete um but i have a lot of favorites and 
I wouldn't say I mimicked my style against TJ, but I definitely, um, I definitely took some things from him. Now you were only 14 at the time, but I don't know if you know this. TJ was like a seven to one underdog in that fight. Yeah. Crazy, <laughs> crazy, man. Nuts. And dude, at that time, Burrell was being considered to be one of the goats, like top three, like best of all time, top five, best of all time. Like, People were on his nuts, you know, and they're like, this guy is like amazing. And rightfully so. Like he had, he had like hadn't lost since his pro debut or something crazy, 20-something fights. And yeah, man, and for TJ to go out there and just kind of defy the odds and and not just defy the odds, but put on like a, a hell of a performance, man, like super dominant from, from bell to bell. And yeah, it was just uh, it was inspiring for sure. I feel bad for TJ because that win has aged so poorly because I, I've never seen a fighter fall off a cliff like Barrow has. I, I don't know what happened. And I spoke to his team once and I was like, what, you know, what, what changed? And nobody can really give you a very good answer about it. But I mean, he had won, I think it was like close to 30 fights in a row at that time. And again, seven to one underdog gets it done and then wins the rematch on top of things. But uh, yeah, I just, uh, TJ, I think doesn't get a lot of credit in terms of, you know, what he's done in that division. Yeah, yeah what a what a fall from grace man like to be at the very top to be considered like people were considering one of the goats man pound for pound like top five pound for pound like that's what i meant not goat pound for pound uh sorry i'm cutting weight man uh <laughs> yeah which is nuts and you gotta think like all right so what's the answer like what like what happened he did take a lot of damage in that first fight against Dillashaw, a lot of damage and then the second fight he took a lot of damage. Um, so you got to think that has to change you as a fighter. Um, maybe you start to lose your chin. You got to, you got to consider things like USADA, you know, uh, you, you never know. Um, but yeah, for, for him to go from being one of the most dominant people to, to not be able to want to fight against not, not top 10 talent, not top 15 talent. Like it's, uh, it's quite the fall. You're so well versed on this game and, and the fighters in it. Is there anybody that you look at in the flyweight division and say, you know, this guy, this guy's kind of a dream matchup for me, just because you want to test yourself against that person? Um, yeah, my my dream fight growing up was always Sergio Pettis. He uh, is obviously not with the company anymore, but he's doing big things over in Bellator. And he's actually a he's like a social media friend to me now, which is fucking cool, man. Because I, I always wanted to be like him. He was always that young guy in the UFC, and I feel like I'm that person now. Um, he's given me uh, some words of wisdom and words of advice. He's just a solid dude. Um, that was always my dream fight. Another fight that that comes to mind is uh, Matt Schnell. That would just uh, that would be like a full circle fight for me, man. Like before I started training, um, I took like a, a a trial class in MMA um, when I was 14, and uh, I fell in love with it. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like I already knew beforehand going into, um, into that gym that I wanted to pursue MMA. Um, but then after taking that class, I was like, okay, now I know I want to do this. Um, so I took that trial class and then two weeks later, like my parents shipped me off to Columbia, uh, for a whole summer show for three months. And I was just being like an asshole rebellious teenager. I was getting in trouble and they don't want to deal with that. And they're like, we're going to send you off to Columbia. That way he's not hanging around with uh with the bad crowd with his with his buddies that he's currently hanging around with um so i got sent off to columbia long story short in columbia the only um the only tv shows that were in english uh were caged and jersey shore on mtv um so caged if, if you don't remember 
what cage was it was like a docu-series of about like three or four mma fighters uh i think one of them was pro the rest were amateur and matt schnell was featured on that show and that that that's why he has such a big following or at least plays into the him having a big following now was he was on that reality show and uh i remember just watching that every day and it, it follows their lives it follows the weight cuts it follows the training it follows their life outside of fighting um and like i remember watching matt schnell do like triangles and and like that was his go-to move he was, he was subbing everybody to triangles and i like i remember like grabbing my cousin and like hey man let me let me try to put you in this triangle and not really know what i was doing but just trying to like mirror what i was seeing on tv um so i watched that show religiously man and that just like fueled my passion for mma when i couldn't do it uh, or couldn't pursue it and i just like i knew i was gonna do it. as soon as i get back to back home i'm, I'm doing mma like i want to be like like chanel and he was the he was the only person like a lighter weight class that I could see myself as like everybody else was like light heavyweight, middleweight. And like the only smaller guy on the show was Chanel. Um, a couple of years uh, into to training, uh, I did one of my camps at ATT down in Florida with my coach, Jason high. We stayed at the dorms and Matt Chanel was there. He was staying in the dorms. So I got to train with him, talk to him and I, I shared the same story with him. Um, and now we work for the same company. So it'd be really cool to one day uh, be able to get into a fist fight with Matt Chanel. That could be, easily be your next fight. It makes That would make a lot of sense from a matchmaking standpoint. I was going to wait on, on that call out until after the fight, but that, that's where my head's at, brother. All right. Well, get in touch with his manager, who is himself, and you can get it done. Is he self-managed? I, I believe so. I think he, I think he is self-managed. Golly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll reach out to his manager. then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, Jeff, uh, and, and watching your progression in this sport. Looking forward to seeing you bring that win streak into double digits this weekend, and always appreciate your time. Let's go, my man. Thank you, brother. Aaron Blanchfield opens up this weekend's UFC Fight Night card against J.J. Aldrich. I'm curious, are you staying on East Coast time? Because I forgot this was an early card, and you're the first one out. Yeah, honestly, staying on East Coast time is going to help because even like last night, I went to sleep like nine, ten o'clock and I was up by like six, seven. So that's going to be around the time I need to wake up anyway. So I'm going to try to like stick to that schedule. Is that your normal routine anyhow? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't mind fighting at 10 a.m. because honestly, during like camp and everything, I spar around 10 a.m. Um, and I usually am like kind of like early to go to bed and early to wake up. So it's kind of like my normal routine. What do you think of J.J. Aldrich as an opponent? She's shown to be very well-rounded. And also, I think you've trained with Caitlin Jukagian in the past. She reminds me of kind of like Caitlin Jukagian light. She doesn't have the same kind of range as Caitlin, but she's really, really good at striking exchanges and, and keeping uh, the kind of range that she likes. Yeah, um, I'd say they're similar in the sense that they're both kind of like more boxers um, and they like to use their range to stay long, try to like stay away from you. Um, but I'm definitely excited about this matchup. You know, she's definitely a vet. She's been in the UFC for a while. Um, and I think it's a good step-up fight for me. I feel like I'm well-rounded everywhere. And I feel like the aspects of my game that are strong will, will carry me through to the win. Um, but I'm definitely excited for the matchup. I saw a lot of people were talking about how you're the first fight on the card. And I, I keep pointing to uh, a recent card. Nick Maximov, who was a co-main event fighter in his fight previous, was also the first fight in his most recent fight. I think that this is by design. I think the UFC likes to put somebody who is a really good prospect or somebody that's up and coming in the first fight so that they can get people to tune in from beginning to end. When you saw that you were the first fight, is that the way you thought of it as well? Um, you know, I actually didn't really think of it like that. Uh, I just, I, I didn't know exactly why I was the first fight. I didn't really care. I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just get that win early and have the rest of the day to celebrate. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. 
how do you typically celebrate your wins? Um, well, last time it was um, at the T-Mobile, so a bunch of my family and friends were able to come out, so that was cool. But this time, since at the Apex, just like me and my cornerman, but we'll probably go out and have like a nice dinner or something like that. How have you enjoyed fighting in Vegas? Like you mentioned, you were at T-Mobile with a crowd last time, this time at the Apex. I love fighting in Vegas, especially um, when there's crowds. Uh, I mean, it's at, in Vegas, especially when there's crowds, because I, honestly, I'd, I'd rather just fight anywhere where I can have a crowd. It just brings so much more energy. Uh, Vegas is nice because it's it's smooth and it's easy and everything's here. We have the PI to work out in um, and get like massages and stuff like that. So it's definitely nice fighting in Vegas, but I'm hoping that my next one has a crowd. Well, speaking of which, Long Island is getting a card. I don't know if that would be of interest to you. It's kind of a quick turnaround, but is that something that you've been looking at? Uh, I don't even know when that card is, to be honest, um, but that would definitely be nice. It's super close to home. I think it's July 18th. It's going to be on ABC. It's the Ortega and Rodriguez card. Okay. Um, yeah, that's something I'd definitely be interested in. I mean, I'm, I'll focus on Saturday for now, but after that, we'll see. Yeah, so you're kind of tunnel vision. You're not, you're not thinking about any of these other cards uh, that are yeah, coming I, did, I honestly didn't even know that was a card, and that's super cool. I live in New Jersey, so Long Island is super close. What are the different places that you train? I know that you, you kind of train at a bunch of different places in, in the area. Yeah, I train at a few different gyms. So I train at um, Silver Fox, BJJ um, in East Hanover, New Jersey, and then MK Muay Thai in Fairlawn, New Jersey, and uh, Cordoba Trained in Fairfield, New Jersey. So I kind of drive around to a few different gyms to get um, like all the work I need. And all my coaches kind of know each other, so they all kind of like talk, and they kind of like help build my game and um, get me better each fight. And you're 23 years old, but you've been competing in, in different kind of martial arts uh, dialects, so to speak, for about 14 years. Um, do, do you still feel like you are, are young in the sport, or do you feel like you have the, the kind of experience that a lot of fighters that um, are, are more veteran in the sport have had? Yeah, I definitely feel like a veteran competing-wise, like because I've been competing since I was like eight years old. So it's, it's something I've grown up doing, and that's something I definitely feel like I have an edge over people, even though I'm younger than most of the people in the UFC or people that I'm fighting. I definitely feel super comfortable in a competition setting. So being younger doesn't really bother me. Now, I don't know if you're still in college. Uh, did, you, did you end up graduating? No. Um, I, my junior year, I, like, once I got into the UFC, I kind of just put it aside for now because um, I want to just like, focus on fighting and put everything into this. But you were still fighting in Invicta and in other promotions when you were a student in uh, university. How did that subject come up when you were talking to some of the students on campus? <laughs> um, I mean, some of it, uh, some, some classes they knew, some classes they didn't. Um, I mean, I was a sports media major. So once I got a little bit further um, into my studies, uh, some of the classes were very like sport oriented. So I felt a little bit more comfortable uh, telling them about it. And everyone was honestly, they were super supportive. I still have uh, people from college that still like watch my fights and they reach out and we like talk about it and stuff like that. Um, so honestly, most of uh, the people that knew about it were very supportive. So that was nice. Well, if they weren't supportive, I mean, out of fear, they probably they would, would have been supportive, I'd imagine, right? I mean, you, you, yeah. they're not going to tell you they disagree with what you're doing, I, you know, knowing what, you, what you're doing at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's definitely not something you're used to hearing, but anytime I told somebody, they, they seem pretty open about it. What do you like about taking sports media courses? What, what did you learn, and is that something that you're looking at, I guess, long down the line, and you're still young in your career, but is that something that you'd like to do in the, in the future? Yeah, that's something um, I would like to get into more like commentating um, stuff like that. I've done like post-match interviews for some jiu-jitsu tournaments um, locally, like in uh, upstate New York. And I definitely liked that. And I definitely want to get into more like commentating. So that's kind of why I got into sports media. And I figured since I'm in this sport, 
Um, and even when I retire, I kind of want to stay involved in some way because I'll have so much experience in it. So I just figured that would probably be like a natural segue for me in the future. So what would be your dream job then in that field? Uh, honestly, my dream job would be uh, an ESPN analyst for the UFC. That's definitely like my goal after fighting. So do you mean at the desk or do you mean cage side of calling the fights? Um, both. Honestly, I, I don't really have like a preference as of right now. Well, you have a level of expertise, of course, in the sport that, uh, you know, very, very few people uh, would have. So I think that if that opportunity, came, I mean, that's something that I think you could probably create for yourself. If you spoke to the UFC and said, hey, I, you know, if you have an opening one Saturday night, I'd love to come and do it. That, that's something that you would want to do even while you're competing as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I want to get um, a little bit more experience in the UFC, get more known and get some more wins under my belt. Um, but if that's ever opportunity while I'm still fighting and it works out, that's I'll definitely do that. How do you see this fight ending on Saturday? Uh, I see my hand getting raised at the end. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to come, but it's definitely I'm just going to come out the winner. Well, I figured that much. I, I'm just talking about by, by the method. I know you're probably hunting for a finish this time around. No, I, I definitely am. Uh, I've been working a lot of like little details um, that I feel like uh, were stopping me from getting those finishes in my last two fights. Um, so I feel like I can definitely get uh, like a sub knockout. Who knows? We'll see. How fast do you think you could get to a title fight? It seems like in the flyweight division, they're hungry for new challengers. Um, you never know. I mean, I could see it happening in the next like two, three years if I stay on a good winning streak, which I plan on doing, especially if I and it depends on how you win the fights, too. Like if I win like three, three more fights, but they're all decisions, you might get a title fight. You might not. But if I get win like three more fights and I get all finishes, um, I can definitely be fighting Valentina by the end of that. Um, so we'll see. But I can definitely see it in the next few years. Well, you say fighting Valentina, but she's got Tyler Santos ahead of her in, uh, in the next little bit. I actually think Tyler's a really, really good fighter. I think that's going to be a closer fight than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tyler's uh, pretty tough, but I don't know. I don't, I, I've watched some of her past fights, and I don't think she really has anything that Valentina can't handle. I don't really feel like anybody in the division right now has anything uh, Valentina can handle besides like myself. Um, so, the, I, yeah, I see her winning, and I see myself fighting her in the next few years. I was talking to Jeff Molina earlier, and we were talking about how the flyweight division uh, on the men's side is a lot like how the female division uh, in flyweight is right now, where you have this one dominant champion that everybody's trying to, to take out. Uh, you know, back when Demetrius Johnson was the champion, nobody seemed to be able to touch him. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the men's flyweight, at least it's a little bit more competitive because they have um, uh, Figgy and Brandon, who are always like kind of winning back and forth. Uh, like Valentina is pretty dominant right now, but it, it kind of makes it more exciting when you do beat her. Um, which I plan on, like, I feel like people start building like a invincibility, like aura around somebody. And that's never true about anybody. Um, so I can't wait till I get to fight it. Yeah. I was thinking more about when Demetrius Johnson was the champion. He just was the, everybody called him Panther Pound yeah. King. Nobody was able to beat him. And then of course, Cejudo eventually did, but that's mm -hmm. kind of what the division was like. It was like, who's going to be next for Demetrius to beat? Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of next. That's how, how the flyweight division with, um, women is going right now. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes. Outside of yourself, who do you think would have the best chance to beat Valentina? Uh, honestly, I don't think anyone has the style like I do. I think a lot of the girls there, like at the top right now, are primar primarily strikers, and Valentina is very comfortable there. And her jitsu and her wrestling is kind of underrated a little bit. It's pretty good. So I think someone with my kind of style that can control her in those clinches and on the ground. Um, it's like the only style that's going to beat her right now. So I feel like I don't see anybody else beating her besides me. I think the, the one 
kind of dark horse would be Tatiana Suarez, who is looking to come back, but it just seems like she keeps hitting all of these barriers uh, and, and getting injured along the way. But I think her versus uh, Valentina Shevchenko would be interesting for the reason that you laid out. Yeah, um, I think Tatiana coming into the division would be very interesting. I'd love to fight her myself. I think that'd be kind of interesting to see who the best wrestler is in the division. Uh, she's been out for a while, and she'd be coming up to flyweight, which I don't think she's ever fought at before, um, which I think would be more of a challenge than she might think. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she does come back. All right, Aaron, well, it's great seeing your continued growth in the sport. Looking forward to seeing you against J.J. Aldridge this weekend, and best of luck to you. Well, thank you. Pleased to be joined now by Damon Jackson, who is taking on uh, Dan Argetta. It's another short-notice opponent for you. You've, you've had four UFC fights, and four opponents fall through in the uh, same amount of time. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. It's funny how it happens. Uh, you know, I just try to prepare uh, just to keep getting better as a martial artist. So it's not like I'm uh, I'm always game planning for whoever is on the contract. But I'm I'm okay if someone falls out. It just it does get kind of frustrating when you go that far into camp and then they fall out last minute. So um, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing and um, you know just keep keep staying ready. Well, this is a new opponent who's fighting up a weight class. I think you're gonna have a massive size advantage over Dan. Uh, possibly. I mean, he's a pretty big kid. Like I know that he's, he might be a little bit shorter for the, for 45 division, but he's a pretty solid wrestler. And so, you know, I know a lot of wrestlers that, um, you know, like Miles Johns, he's a solid 35er, but he could easily fight at 45 on short notice. So, um, you know, I don't take that into a whole lot of consideration. I know he has good skill for wrestling and I know that his uh, submission defense is pretty, pretty solid. So, uh, it's a tough fight for me, no matter what, uh, you know, in some ways, that he's tougher than Derek Minner. So, um, you know, I'm just prepared for the fight. I'm ready to go. I've been I've been asking for a top 15 fight, and um, I just was going to fight Derek because that's who they told me to fight. And so I'm going to fight this kid because he stepped up. And it's just like, for me, I'm, I'm there. It doesn't matter who's in front of me. See, the problem with this guy, though, is that one thing he's got to his advantage, he doesn't have much of a neck. And against Damon Jackson, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe I'll have to attack his arms or legs or something, or maybe... Uh, showcase a little boxing or something. Who knows? But I, uh, I'll be. I'm, I'm prepared to take the fight wherever it needs to go. Um, I feel confident in my skill all around, and um, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy to have an opponent. I spoke to you backstage in uh, in Phoenix. Uh, you were there cornering uh, mm-hmm. several different fighters. I think Macy Chase on and Fermi yeah. Garcia. Yeah. And I mentioned to you, I, I thought you got cut a little bit too prematurely your first time in the UFC, and you kind of said, I think that kind of worked out for the best. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I try to tell everyone because everybody kind of says that they're like, oh, this is your second round in UFC. You're doing so much better. But I'm like, dude, I was a year and a half into training, a year and a half into being a pro. And, uh, you know, I wasn't ready to be in the UFC. Like, I wasn't well-rounded enough. So, um, you know, that's just me being, um, you know, 10 years in the game now and, um, you know, learning as much as I have. It just is starting to come together. And, um you know, I just I'm happy with where I'm at, and to get to come back into the UFC at this point in my career, it's a it's actually a blessing for sure to to get, get all that experience outside uh, the UFC, and then to come back, it's it's nice. And your coach, Safe Saud, he's improved so much as a coach over that time as well. I know you've uh, been with Fortis yeah. for a long time, but the, his command in the in the corner, I think, is among the best of any coach. Yeah, I mean, he's at he's at every practice, he's at every fight. Uh, he goes through all the different fight camps, so he's he's got to study different skills as, as well as like, you know, wrestling, jits, striking, you know, super unorthodox style of every fighter that comes into the UFC. And so he's got to prepare 
the, all of us, you know, to fight different opponents. And, uh, and we all, we all train different. We all have different mindsets. We all, we, we take criticism differently. So it's like, he's got to be on point with so many different levels. And so he does such a good job with that. Like he coaches the young guys, just like he coaches someone that's been there for, you know, 10 years or more. So it's like, um, he's, he's done a great, great job as a coach, just evolving. I think you point that something really important there with Coach Safe. You know, he's known a lot for yelling at his fighters in the corner, but you mentioned that he also is very good at knowing how to get his fighter going. It's not always just yelling at somebody. It's also motivating. Yeah. He's just very good, I think, at that particular... I think of all the people in terms of, you know, the, the advice between rounds, he's probably the best of any yeah. coach I've seen. Yeah, and that's how he does it practice, too. So it's not like it's any different. When you're in a fight, uh, if you're fucking up in practice, he's going to be like, Blah 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 blah. He like he might try to push your buttons a little bit more in practice than he does in a fight. So when you're in the fight, it's like just like a practice. And uh, I, to be honest, man, we have our our practices are harder than any fight that I've been in. So um, you know, whenever I go into fights, it gives me a lot of confidence to know that he's talking the same way he does in practice. And then um, you know, this feels like easier than practice sometimes. So. Um, you know, he gives uh, he gives us a lot of confidence for sure. How much have you learned in your own coaching career? I know you coach your daughter's wrestling team, and mm -hmm. she apparently is a natural. I, I think it was what her first year, yeah. and she was she lost one uh, bout. So one, I mean, yeah. how much has his yeah. coaching translated over to when you're coaching the kids? Um, it, you know, I've always I've always loved coaching. I got try to start coaching always early is like my high school years, and so I've kind of carried that into college, and then after college, I, I was still kept coaching. And uh, it's one of my favorite things, but uh, just being around him and seeing the success he's had and, like, you know, being with him whenever he messed up, too. That's, you know, there's a handful of things that he's he showed me, you know, just through his own experiences. So, um, you know, it definitely helps me out a lot. And, and, like, you know, I think I think me coaching also helps me listen to him a little better. Um, and I think that that helps me a lot with, you know, in between rounds, really getting that true instruction uh, to get it's like a cheat code, uh, and when you have that, you know, consistency that he gives, uh, it really helps out a lot. Now you had a little bit of trouble letting your daughter become uh, a wrestler because I, I'd heard in some of your interviews that when you were yeah. wrestling, you used to when you were put in there with yeah. a, a female, you, you <laughs> didn't take it easy on them. But uh, no. now the next step yeah. is MMA. Would you let your daughter compete in MMA if, if that's what she wanted to do? Hey, you know what I tell everybody because I have a lot of parents that ask me that because I, I do a lot of youth wrestling. And so a lot of the parents are like, you know, my kid wants to do this. He wants to fight. He wants to be in the UFC. And I'm like, well, you know what? If he, if he, uh, if he or she, if they stick it out for uh, the the amount of time that it takes to be become great at the sport, then there's nothing really you can say about it because I think at the end of the day, when they turn 18, they have their own choices. So you definitely don't want to stand in the kid's way. And if they want to put the work in, it's going to make them that much better of a person. So for me, with my daughter. Uh, you know, I didn't want to see her wrestling because whenever I was wrestling, it was just girls versus boys. There was no girls division. And in Texas, uh, they have such a great USA wrestling program. And the girls division is it's a true girls division. They have they have girls team. They have girls state. They have girls nationals. They have girls, uh, you know, in the Olympics now. It's just like it's amazing to see how far girls wrestling has came. You know, I know a lot of girls in college. uh you know, they said that whenever they would come in the room, they would come in the room with the guys because they wanted that extra grind. And that, at you know, at some point you got to like look at it. It's just like if someone wants to put the work in, then let them. And if they shine, then they shine. And if they fail, 
they'll be a better person all the way around. You know, wrestling is a great sport, so I'm not going to stand in her way for sure, but I, I definitely am not going to encourage it. Well, I mean, you've had a, a tough road uh, in terms of becoming a mixed martial artist. You were you were in wrestling, and you were you were st- All-State, I believe, or uh, All-American, and, and now you have mm-hmm. four daughters. So, I mean, life isn't easy for Damon Jackson. You've got a lot going on that probably keeps you motivated to stay on top of your game. Yeah, I mean, for me, I do this. I do MMA selfishly. It's not. I don't do this for my kids. I don't do this for my wife or my family. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of people say that, but I think it's just a bunch of BS. You know, like this is like one of the hardest things to do because you spend so much time away from your family. Uh, it, it um, you know, it causes a lot of like uh, if you're not truly, you know, trained the right way, and you go out there and you lose then you mentally, uh, you know, you just lose a lot and your family kind of loses out on all that extra time. So it's like uh, when it's not paying off for me, um, I'm going to make sure that my family comes first no matter what. So I try to always, uh, I'm always at my girl stuff. Every time I have a game, I'm always there. I don't miss any, like, any BS, like preschool graduation or any, like, seventh, eighth grade graduation. I'm going to be at all that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to let this get in the way of that, but uh you know, it's just it's, this is definitely a selfish dream, and uh, I've been chasing it for so long, and it's just now really starting to pay off for for me and my family now. Um, you know, UFC does such a good job of taking care of us, and uh, I just love being back in the UFC and uh, making the money that it that it brings, and it's all great. You know, I just I've been on full time grind mode. Uh, you know, my whole career I've I've had a full time job, and I've always been a full time dad, so. Um, you know, none of that's changed. It's just being in the UFC, making a little extra money. It's nice. Well, you mentioned to me when we started this interview, you can see the TV is on in the background. This is kind of your, yeah. your vacation time. Is the the days no, leading up yeah. to uh, the fight? Yeah. Don't say that. Don't say <laughs> that. My wife's gonna want to cut my my uh, fight camp down in half if you if she sees that. <laughs> she's she's uh, she's at home. She's having to do all the stuff. I mean, she already does most of it. But uh, you know, it's like she's with the girls, so now it's like. If one girl needs to go somewhere, they all have to go. So uh, it's a little bit extra on her when I'm gone for a week. But it's nice for me to not have to wake up at 4.30 and uh, go to the gym and then go train people and then, you know, do my normal grind. So it's it's a nice little getaway for me for sure, 100%. Well, let's just hope she doesn't frequent Canadian sports websites. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Hey, well, I'm taking her to, I'm taking her to Mexico as soon as the fight's over. So she'll be happy. All right, well, we're looking forward to seeing you perform once again this weekend, Damon, against uh, Dan Argetta, a short-notice opponent, but a tough one at that. Uh, Appreciate your time. Look forward to speaking with you again soon. For sure, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I very much appreciate the time of my guests this week. We had Dan Ige, Jeff Molina, Aaron Blanchfield, and Damon Jackson on the show. And next week, UFC 275 on the horizon, we'll have interviews with the likes of Glover Teixeira, Valentina Shevchenko, Yuri Prochazhka, Ioana Jacek, hoping to get some time with Dana White as well. And we'll hopefully have that show for you early next week. want to appreciate all of the listeners for the TSN MMA show, Interview Edition, and the Standard Edition. You can subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And hey, if you have a moment, please feel free to rate and review the show. goes a long way in terms of the SEO value of this wonderful podcast. Appreciate you tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.